Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. And I'm going to welcome Simon. Three sixteen can follow me. Hooray! Bye. Thank you very much. How are we doing today? Good. <laughs> Understated, I think is the term I'd use there. Understated. God's in the building, I agree. God's here by his spirit. We're very expectant of what he wants to do. I'm going to move this lonely stand away. Lonely stand. It's Pentecost Sunday today, uh, which is the day in the church calendar that's set aside to remember when the Holy Spirit fell on the early church at the Feast of Pentecost, way back, well, just days after the resurrection of Christ, 10 days, I think, is the, uh, what they estimate. So uh, we're going to have a chance at the end of the service, about quarter to uh, 12, we're going to invite um, parents of the under-fives to go and get the under-fives, the other children will be brought in, and the youth, and we're going to have a chance to pray for a fresh infilling of the Spirit. Okay? That's that all right? Yeah. So we can invite you all into that, whether you've been a believer a long time, whether you've been a believer a short time, whether you're still trying to figure out what this is all about. We'll have a number of people at the front here and we'll just pray a quick blessing on you and a fresh infilling of the Spirit. So we can do that at the end of the, uh, of the service today. But we're also going to continue with our new series, looking at Galatians. Anyone reading Galatians? Yes. You enjoying it? Yes. <laughs> here, isn't he? Like, oh, <laughs> Not again. Not again. I want to start with a quick recap, actually. Uh, this letter was written to the church in Galatia. Uh, Paul was, was really upset that the church there was losing its way, straying away from the gospel, adding works to salvation, and so he was desperate to bring the church back on track. It was a church he'd planted, a church he'd birthed. He saw these people as his children, and he was seeing them going off, off track, and he was trying to bring them back, and so this letter is all about that uh, particular subject. And so, so far, we've, um, we've looked at being made new. That's what the, 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 the whole Galatians letter starts with. The, the gospel makes you new. It transforms you. It lets you live a new life uh, in Christ. You're empowered to live by God's grace, not just saved by his grace. And so we looked at chapter 1 and 1 to 24. And then um, Julian jumped in and we looked at new unity and new freedom, how the gospel brings us together. It brings cultures together. It brings people together. The church is like no other organization. Look around. I mean, what a motley bunch you are this morning. No, no other organization brings together people like the gospel. <laughs> you're going, yeah, you're right. You're, yeah, quite <laughs> the, the gospel brings cultures, ethnicities, socio-economic groups. It brings people together and, and, and brings them together in unity around the person of Jesus Christ. And we looked in this section how it's Jesus who makes us clean. It's Jesus who makes us acceptable. We don't have to follow religious ceremony. We don't have to do religious laws or regulations. It's the gospel that makes us acceptable to God through Christ's work on the cross. And that freedom is also emotional freedom. You're emotionally free this morning. Slightly reserved, but emotionally free. We experience some of that freedom this morning in worship as the Spirit comes and breathes that freedom into us. That freedom to experience the fullness of who we are in God. God makes us free. You're free from the endless treadmill of guilt and insecurity that can come with the human condition. You don't need to earn your salvation. You don't need to make God love you because the gospel puts you into God's family. You sang this morning, 
in my Father's house is a place for me. I am a child of God. And that's what we're going to be focusing on today, that sense that actually the gospel puts us into the Father's house. We don't have to be worried or insecure about our future, about whether we're accepted. Culture would say to you, you've got to keep earning acceptance, you've got to keep earning approval. But the gospel would say to you, you are secure in the person of Christ. And we saw in this section how Paul confronted Peter, because Peter had gone off track. Peter had succumbed to peer pressure. Even though God had revealed to Peter, everything uh, is available, everything is clean in the gospel, so go and eat with the Gentiles. Don't, you don't have to withdraw from them. You don't have to keep away from them for fear of being made unclean. Peter had succumbed to the religious pressure of these false teachers, and he started withdrawing from the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And so, uh, so Paul hammers him and says, you know, don't give in to fear. Don't give in to peer pressure because the gospel says that we're made one in Christ. Everything is clean. So Paul confronts that hypocrisy, even in Peter, who succumbed to peer pressure. And you know what peer pressure can do, don't you? We live in a world of peer pressure. You know, you, you, you've got peer pressure coming from all sides. And even someone like Peter, a disciple, succumbed to the pressure that was around him to withdraw. And so Paul says, no, the gospel says, come back. You're clean. The Gentiles are clean. We're made one in Christ. And then Joel looked at new ways last week. We looked at how in the gospel, the way in is the way on. We never graduate from the gospel. We're saved by it, and we continue to grow by it, by applying it to our lives. You don't grow as a Christian by just trying harder. Anyone tried that? Doesn't work, okay? I can tell you it doesn't work. You don't become a better believer or, or, or a better Christian by trying harder. It just simply does not work. Every year, you've probably got your New Year's resolutions. I've lost track of how many times um, people have said to me, on Monday, I'm going to start a new diet. On Monday, I'm going to go to the gym. Um, it's always Monday, isn't it? Why is it Monday? I don't know, but it's always Monday. You know. On Monday, a new life will begin in some way. And so we continually try harder to improve ourselves, to make ourselves better. But Paul tells us that the way in is the way on. The way we're transformed is by continually applying the gospel to our lives, by continually seeing the person of Christ transforms us. And that means we never leave the gospel behind. We never leave it behind. Paul says to the Galatians, what you began in the spirit, you're now trying to complete in the flesh. You know, what's happened to you? You know, this is a, a spiritual work. It'll always be a spiritual work. You'll never get away from the fact this is the work of the spirit in you. And so if you want to see transformation in your life, it's always by the Spirit. It's always by the Gospel. It's never by works. It's never by adding something or doing something. It's always by getting into God's presence and allowing him to touch you and reveal to you his heart for you again. And that causes us to kind of ruthlessly go after the things in our life that don't, that don't respond to the Gospel. We start to apply the Gospel and the Gospel changes us. So we don't change by trying harder. We change by looking at the person of Christ and allowing the gospel to change us. And when we do that, God comes and replaces the saviours that we've created, the little, the little things that we have in our lives that we think save us or make us more acceptable. God uproots those and replaces them with the saviour, Jesus Christ. And Paul used the whole example which Joel touched into last week of Abraham. Abraham was declared righteous in God even though he came way before the law. He was declared righteous in God because he trusted God and believed in God hundreds of years before the ceremonial law was given. So Paul says to the Galatians, it's not about the law, it can't be. Because if Abraham was declared righteous, he was hundreds of years prior to the law. Discuss. <laughs> and so he's saying, actually, righteousness in God comes through faith and trust. 
And it's God who does the work, not us. So that's where we are. We've caught up. And now we're now looking today at Galatians 3, 26 uh, to chapter 4, 2. We're looking at made new. So I'll pop this on the screens for you. I'm not going to read it all because I haven't got time, but we're just going to pick out pieces as we go. So at this point in this letter, we've reached the pinnacle of the gospel. Imagine you've climbed a long mountain. Anyone been to Snowden or somewhere like that, climbed a high peak? And eventually you get to the top, don't you? You get to the top and it's fantastic. And if the weather's good, you've got a fantastic view. And all that hard work feels like it's worth it. And we've arrived at the peak here of this letter and the peak of the gospel. And it is literally this. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. That is it. You're never going to get past the peak of this particular statement from Paul. This is the peak of the letter and the peak of the gospel. If you remember nothing else ever about being in church, remember this. You are a child of God by faith. We sing it, but it's true. This is the, this is the, the zenith, the, the, the epitome of the gospel. It's the, uh, it's the peak, it's the, it's the, it's the, the wellspring, it's everything. It's, this is where the, the essence of the gospel is to be found. The Scottish theologian Sinclair Ferguson said this, the notion that we are children of God, his own sons and daughters, is the mainspring of Christian living. This is where your identity is, this is where your power to live a Christian life comes from, the fact that you are a child of God. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a child of God. Okay, don't repeat yourself, just say it once, okay? See, God doesn't just rescue us, he adopts us. God doesn't just rescue us and put us on the, on the side and say, there you are, you're saved. He adopts you, he takes you home, and he adopts you into his family. He doesn't just make you legally right before God, he doesn't just say all your debts are sorted out, you don't legally owe anything now. He takes you home and adopts you into his family. And through faith in Christ, we become heirs to God. And this is an extraordinary, extraordinary fact that's been alluded to by Paul here. It's the heart of the Christian message. That when you receive Christ by faith, you become a son and daughter of God. And this is not some future hope, not some future aspiration, not something that's going to happen at some point in the future, or at some point in the heavenly realm. This is true today, now. This is your true identity in God if you've received Christ into your life. And it's a thing so many believers struggle to accept and to assimilate and to live from. Because this notion of religious guilt or needing to do something that we can't just often relax in the fact that we are children of God and that is who we are. Even though we sing it and we sing it and we sing it, it just doesn't land. The word word translated here uh, is the word for son. S-O-N, not S-U-N, son. And that's not being uh, in any way, Paul isn't trying to be sort of gender specific. What he's alluding to is in this culture... The only people who could adopt were sons. Daughters, I'm afraid, couldn't adopt. Uh, sorry, couldn't, couldn't inherit uh, in this culture. They couldn't inherit what was in the father's household. But sons could. Sons were the heirs. Sons were the inheritors. And so when Paul uses the, uh, the male version for, for child here, which is translated children in your NIV to make sure it's gender neutral, um, he's saying that actually you are now a fully-fledged legal heir of the father. Everything the father has... 
everything the Father owns, everything in the Father's reach is now yours. You are an heir in Christ. And that's extraordinary, isn't it? Just, just stop for a moment and think about that. I went to, uh, to Rome on holiday with Keely and we went to a place called the Domisari, which was, which was uh, Nero's golden house, golden palace. It had been discovered as they'd um, excavated Rome and they found this incredible uh, golden palace that Nero created, because Nero was quite sort of self-centred. And he created this beautiful palace to himself and uh, <laughs> these beautiful gardens. And um, it, was all, it was all recreated. Vaspian, who came after him, built the Colosseum on top of it just to show that he was better. So he literally built, he buried it. That was the end of Nero's um, uh, sort of legacy. But they've dug it up, excavated it, and you can go down there and wander around, you can look at these rooms, and it's all pretty grimy and pretty dirty and pretty broken. But then you get to do a VR thing, and you put this VR headset on, and you stand on this little stone block, and suddenly the golden house is back as it was. And you can look around and look up and look down and look around, and this virtual tour takes you out into the gardens, and you can sort of put your hand through the, the lavender that isn't there, and you, can, you just get transported back into this opulence and beauty of this incredible palace that was created by, by Nero. And for me, it's almost like a picture, a very small picture, of, of what the Father's house must be like. You know, the, 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 just, the, just the incredible scale and scope of the Father's house. And so when, when, when Paul says you're a child of God, it's that house that you're taken into. It's into that wondrous, sort of incredible place of everything your heart could desire is there in the Father's house. And we become inheritors, we become children of God. And Paul says to us, you've been clothed with Christ. You've been clothed with Christ. And he uses this metaphor to, of clothing because clothing is so personal to us. You know, we use clothing to determine our identity. Nice shirt, by the way. Uh, we use clothing to um, tie it in with the uh, logo. Do you know? Not on purpose. Um, we use clothing to protect us, to cover us, to give us shelter. You know, clothing is one of the things that's so close to us throughout the, the day, our daily lives, isn't it? But clothing is so important to us. Clothing can, be, um, can give us all sorts of, of, uh, of, of a sort of identity and security. But Paul now says, you're dressed up like Jesus. You're clothed in Christ. And he's that close to you. He's that close to you. He's like, he's like clothing that we wear. He's that close to us. He's, everywhere you go, your clothes go with you, don't they? Apart from the shower, maybe. And, but everywhere you go, your clothes go. And everywhere you go, Jesus goes with you. Because he clothes you in the same way that your clothes are close to you. Jesus is that close to you. And when the Father looks at you now, he looks at you through the clothes of Jesus. So, you know, anything that you've done wrong, anything you feel you're struggling with, where you feel like you're not measuring up, that doesn't matter to God, the Father, because when he looks at you, he looks at you through the clothes of Jesus. You are utterly acceptable to him, utterly loved to him, because Jesus has given you his clean clothes to wear. So when you're in the Father's house, the Father looks at you, he sees you through the clothing of Jesus. Jesus' perfection, it clothes us. You'd never think about leaving the house naked in the morning, would you? Perhaps you have thought about it, but you haven't done it. You know, you'd make sure you had your clothes on. But we often think about leaving the house without Jesus in the morning, don't we? 
You know, if, if we're in a rush or we're preoccupied or it's busy or we're stressed, you know, Jesus can be a far thing from our mind. But Paul says you're clothed in Christ. So wherever you go, you, you take him with you. He's that close to you. And uh, I'd encourage you to think about that. The fact that you're clothed in him. You take him wherever you are. He's with you all the time. He's that close to you. And the word here means literally to be a wash with Jesus, to be to have him permeate every part of you continually, to have his presence carried with you all the time. And Paul goes on to describe this intimacy that's now been created between us and Christ, but also between each other. There's no, there's no Jew or Gentile, no slave or free, no male or female. All of you are one in Christ. We've been brought to this place of being one in Christ. This doesn't mean we're identical. It doesn't even mean we're interchangeable. It just means that we've made one in God. There's no division now between us. There's a distinction between us. There's no division between us. And Paul tackles the three barriers to unity in this section. He talks about cultural barriers, neither, neither Jew or Greek. We can love across all sorts of ethnic and racial boundaries now because of Christ. There's no class barrier, slave or free. We no longer relate to each other on the basis of economic or social standing. There's no gender barrier, male or female. This was probably Paul's strongest statement in this letter. Because at the time it was written, women had very, very, very few rights. But Paul says, actually, in Christ, men and women are equal. There is no division. Let's have a look around, guys. You're united with these people. Don't cry. (laughs) The gospel makes us one. The gospel unites us across all the boundaries and all the barriers. And that's what makes church this incredible eclectic mix of people. Because the gospel unites us. Let's look at the next section. In this section, Paul tells us that he uses the example of a slave. And he says, actually, slavery is our natural state without Christ. And Jesus takes us out of slavery and brings us, makes us come of age. We become in the Father's house. We're no longer slaves because Jesus redeems us. He, he buys us out of slavery. He pays the slave price and he sets us free. When this letter was written, a wealthy man who had no heir could um, adopt a slave uh, in his house, a son, to become his heir. So when he died, his property wasn't lost. So he could adopt a slave as an heir uh, and, and that person would be the, the heir of the family. And that's exactly what Paul is alluding to when he used this imagery here. It's a picture of what Jesus has done for you and me. It's like Jesus has gone to the slave market. Imagine an ancient slave market. You're there, you're chained up, you've got no hope, no future, no identity, and Jesus walks into that slave market and he pays the slave price and he sets you free. And then he does something amazing. He takes you by the hand and he walks you to the Father's house. He walks you to the Father's house and says, not only are you free, but now you're going to come and live with us. You're going to come and live with us. And now you're going to live with us. We're going to adopt you into our family. You're going to have exactly the same standing in our family as I do. You're going to be an heir like I'm an heir. You're going to be in the Father's house. You'll be part of the Father's family. And that's the the imagery that Paul is painting for these people in Galatia. The Father set you free and taking you into his family. He says in this letter, we were in slavery to elemental spiritual forces of the world. But God sent his son and sent his spirit. 
to set us free and allow us to experience that freedom. The work that Jesus did on the cross, it's like an external thing. It's something that was done. It was done to establish our position in God. But what the Spirit does, he comes and allows us to experience that freedom. He comes and dwells in us and allows us to experience the freedom of God, allows us to experience our new status in God. And that's why Paul says, the Spirit of the Son was sent into your heart, the Spirit who calls out Abba Father. Abba Father. The calls out here is not strong enough in the NIV. It's like a deep, rending, passionate cry from your gut. Imagine, imagine the, 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 the cry of a, of a crow or a shriek. It's that level of, of, of sort of heartfelt cry. The Spirit calls us to cry out with a real depth of feeling that God is our Father. Have you ever done that? Have you ever felt that? Because the Spirit can move us in the deepest place to take what is sometimes a conceptual idea into a reality. Because that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit calls us to cry out with passion and freedom. And I'd encourage you to try and grow in that thing. Even if you've come from the most reserved background, the most reserved personality, one day you'll be in heaven. And it's going to be a mashup. It's going to be a party. It's going to be beyond your wildest imagination in terms of the, the worship and the revelation that will be present there. And if you're one of those people who at a party sort of stand at the corner with your drink, looking around, <laughs> there may not even be any corners in heaven. I mean, where are you going to stand? <laughs> the Spirit enables us to be passionate in our response to the Father. We call out to him. Because he's near to us. He hears us. It's like a child saying, Daddy, Daddy. I'm a granddad now, as you know, and I spent a lot of time at Wildfires looking after Solomon. Granddad, granddad, granddad. And so, it's like, a, it's like a, you know, he points here and he points there. We have to go this way and he points. And so, but the one day I went down to see him. I was going somewhere else. And I just popped my head around the corner of a tent. I went to walk away. He went, he went Granddad! That's exactly what this is. <laughs> in the passage here. Don't leave. Come close. Let me feel your touch. Let me feel your embrace. The word Abba means Papa, Daddy. It's a childlike assurance of faith. It's the intimate expression of who we see God to be. We're the child and God's our loving dad. And we call out to him. And we call out to him because we know he wants to hold us and we want to experience the warmth and security of his touch and his presence. So the work on the cross was done externally for you, but the work of the Spirit is done internally to you. So the Spirit enables you to experience the love of God, the freedom that God promises. This stuff isn't words on a page. The Spirit of God enables you to experience it personally and live in it. The Spirit moves us emotionally and intellectually to experience the love of the Father. That's the promise to every person. It's not, it's not linked to your personality. It's not linked to your upbringing. It's not linked to your, your intellect. It's not linked to your experience. It's not dependent on you. If you will open yourself up to God, the Spirit will allow you to experience the Father's love. Let's jump to our next section. And Paul begins to look here at the contrast between the gospel and false idols and false religion. Many of these believers in Galatia, they've been former 
worshippers at idol temples. So they, they knew what idol worship was and they'd been brought out of that into a new freedom by the gospel. And now that risk of slipping back into another form of idol worship, another form of illegalism or religion. And Paul says, you're just wasting your time. You're wasting your time. There's, there's no life there. There's, you know, idol worship or religion worship are just as bad as each other. Neither of them have any merit. Neither of them have any ability to bring salvation. He tells them you don't need to bolster your acceptance to God by doing things, by adding things to the gospel. You're known by God. You're, you're loved by God. Do you know you, you're never going to be more loved by God than you are today? You could go out and plant a thousand churches. You could lead a million people to Christ. You could start a hundred compassion ministries. It wouldn't make God love you any more than he loves you today. You could have the worst week ever this week. You could sin. You could fail. You could cuss. You could do every bad thing you could think of. It wouldn't make God love you any less this week. That is the truth of the gospel. It's not dependent on your works. It's dependent on the Father's love for you. And so... Paul says, don't make an idol out of self-approval or, or self, sort of self-saving. Don't do that, because the gospel sets us free from that. Do you remind yourself daily that Jesus loves you? Do you remind yourself that he fully accepts you? <coughs> Hudson Taylor was an extraordinary man who went to China and began to, 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 to do mission work in China. There were very, 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 very few believers. And he had a scrap of paper which he would move in his diary every day. So it, whatever day it was, he'd move it to that day. And it said these, these words. Lord Jesus, make thyself to me a living, bright reality, more present to faith, vision keen than any outward object seem, more dear, more intimately nigh than in the sweetest earthly tie. And every day he would read these words and it would remind him that who he was in God, that he was a loved child of the Father. And it would give him the, the framework with which to do his ministry, his mission, his work in China. How do you remind yourself every day that you're a child of God? How do you remind yourself that you're dearly loved and accepted, regardless of whether you feel like you're performing well that day? How do you remind yourself? And quickly, this last section, which is the big section. <laughs> Paul's really just going back to the fact that he planted this church. He knows these people. He lived with them. He was with them. He said, I became like you in verse 12. I came and I became like you. And it's always about proximity with the gospel. You, 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 you can't bring transformation to the gospel at a distance. Gospel transformation is always about proximity. It's when we get close to people and people get close to us that change happens. That's what I love about the vineyard. We're free to express locally how this church should be to reach the people that God's called us to reach. We don't have to do things in a certain way or a certain shape. We're free to express culturally what we should do. Paul came close to these Galatians. He came and lived with them. He worked with them. He ate with them. He taught with them. He played with them. He lived amongst them. He did all this without changing the gospel. This was Hudson Taylor's message. He went and became culturally acceptable to the Chinese, but the gospel that he carried didn't change. And when he came back with his long pigtail and his kind of Chinese clothing, the church in this country were like, what have you done? He said, well, I became like them, so I could reach them. 
See, we, we become, as we enter into people's worlds, we have the opportunity to bring life to them, to bring the gospel to them. It's about proximity always. And then Paul says, I became like you, now become like me. He doesn't say like me. He says become like me. How often do we think like me? We like people to like us, don't we? Yes, we do. It's our biggest thing. We love people to like us. We spend a lot of time trying to make sure that people like us. You know, we, we often, you know, we, am I gaining people's approval? Do people like me? Paul was secure in the gospel. He didn't say, like me. He said, become like me. Because I carried the gospel to you. I kind of birthed you as children. You see, people are looking to you to see how you handle life. They're not looking to you to be perfect. In fact, they're probably looking at your flaws. And saying, how is, how is this gospel working day to day? If it's real, how is it working? How do you deal with disappointment? How do you deal with pain? How do you deal with relational upsets? How do you deal with pressure? How do you deal with this? How do you deal with that? And they look at you and they say, does the gospel actually work on the ground? Does it work? And so these Galatians would have looked at Paul and said, this thing seems to be real. It seems to be playing out in this man's life. And most people come to Christ because they get around flawed but loving and truthful believers and they see something of reality in their life. And they go, I like that. That's attractive to me. There's something there which is drawing me. It's often not through a message like today. It's often not through an apologetic or, or, a, or a piece of paper. It's through a person that most people come to Christ. Not a perfect person, normally a flawed person, but an honest person, a loving person. And that's how the gospel gets propagated out. It's about proximity. When you put yourself around other people and you become vulnerable to them and you reveal the gospel to them and how it works on the ground, why you choose to do that, but you won't do that. Gospel values are like traffic lights. They're like red and green lights. You know, There's certain things in my life I won't do because of the gospel. And there's certain things in my life I will do because of the gospel. When people see that, they say, this gospel works on the ground. And therefore, it must be genuine. It must be real. It must have substance. So think of yourself as a flawed but honest believer. Because people find that very, very attractive. And Paul was really vulnerable. Because he says in this part of that, I was ill. My illness brought me to you. Perhaps Paul had a plan or an idea where he was going to go, but he was ill. And that vulnerability brought him close to the Galatians. And out of that closeness... The gospel was birthed and hundreds of people came to know Christ. How do you receive inconvenience in your life? (laughs) When your plans get changed or things don't go as you want them to go. How do you view that inconvenience? Because Paul viewed it as as a gospel opportunity. How do you view it? Does it frustrate you? Does it annoy you? Is it a God opportunity? Paul even saw illness as a gospel opportunity to the people in Galatia. They welcomed him. They said, you welcome me like an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. But now he's having to come to them with tough love, and they're really, really, really coming back at him. And his relationship with them is being really tested. They're vilifying him because he's trying to pull them back to the truth of the gospel. He's in agony because he sees them losing the thing that was planted in them, and he's trying to draw them back to it. 
He's not trying to get fans here. He's trying to get followers of Jesus. The gospel costs, guys. Okay? It's going to cost. So if you're going to get in people's lives, you'll begin to minister. There could be a time when they just turn, turn back and slap you in the face. The gospel costs. If you're going to do gospel ministry, it's not all going to be, <laughs> it's not going to be roses. Because Paul shows us what it's like. The spiritual battle that's present here. And these people that he birthed and loved and lived amongst were now turning their back on him and following false teachers, false influences. And he's in agony. But he, he, won't, he won't. He said, I wish I could come to you and be gentle, change my tone. But I can't because I'm a loving parent who's trying to bring you back into the truth of the gospel. If we're going to do gospel ministry and get close to people, it is going to cost us. It is going to, it is going to hurt sometimes. We want to bring people to truth. So just in summary today, before we move into our next bit. So much in this section to reflect on. You can look at it in your own time. But if you remember one thing today, remember that you are a child of God. Child of God. You will never surpass this revelation if you go to a hundred Bible colleges and listen to a billion talks. This is the... This is the pearl that is in the centre of the gospel, that you are a child of God. Your earthly parents might have been absent, imperfect, a pastiche of what is presented here in the gospel, but your, earthly, your heavenly father is perfect and loves you with a perfect love, a vast love. You know, picture yourself in that, in that slave market, being set free by Christ and being walked to the father's house. And that's where you now live. In my father's house is a place for me. I am a child of God. When you sing those words, don't just sing them. Believe them. Say, Holy Spirit, let me experience them as a truth, a reality, because it will transform your life. It will transform your living. It will allow you to live from the place of security that the Father wants for you. He loves you. In fact, he adores you. He adores you. He sets his affection upon you. And nothing you can do can change that. You can't make yourself less loved by the Father. And all you do need to do now is just live in a way that run around the house. Enjoy. Enjoy what the Father has for you. Let's stand together. If you've got a child who's under five, can you go and sign them out, please, and bring them back in? And I think the older children will be brought in. So that's Munchies or Crunchies parents to sign out their children. That sounds like children. <laughs> so what we're going to do, I'm going to quickly pray. Let me sit down again. So Father, I just pray that you take what we said today and really make it a reality by your spirit into our being, God, that we are children of God. We won't just hear it, but we'll understand it, receive it, and live from it. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.